Can I be honest this morning? I don't talk about my relationship with a text, but this text in particular is near and dear to my heart this morning. Since the first inkling or idea of a call to ministry, this text has challenged me. This simple text, these few five verses, have really softened and humbled my heart. And if you know me, uh, this is something that I will constantly struggle with, as God has, has wired me. And those of us who are by nature thinkers, we, we have to work on our hearts a lot. And this passage has done that for me. And so when I was first given the opportunity to come here to this church, and I had no idea how to be a pastor, no idea how to preach, no idea how to grow a church, how to help people grow in Christ, this passage kept ringing in my head over and over and over again. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep over and over and again. I was so blessed to have great counsel from godly men who had labored for decades in ministry. And again and again, they would tell me, love them well. Not in a demeaning kind of way, but if you love them well, they will follow you anywhere. And I did not take that lightly, and it, it was something that the Lord has worked in in me for a long time. All these questions, how does the church grow? How do we grow a healthy church? How do I disciple a church of, people, of members who are all older than I am when I got here? Before I could do any of those things well, my heart needed to be examined. How do I show my love for the Lord? Some of us are lovers, and that becomes easy. Some of us are not. So for those of us who are not, how do I show my love to the Lord? And this passage kept coming up again and again. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. The Lord forces Peter to examine himself in this text. He must judge his own heart. He must be humbled and his priorities must be aligned with the Lord's before he can be used. This is one last thing that is required before Simon can become Peter, can become the rock, the pillar of the church, can minister for the gospel. He must be broken to his very heart. So we're going to do the same thing this morning. We're going to do some heart examination. And I love working through a book like John because last week you get this great evangelism analogy. And it's, and it's kind of lighthearted and it's encouraging, but this one is deeply introspective. And we're going to do that this morning. And so my prayer for you is that there are no areas of your heart that you are trying to hide from the Lord. And there are no areas of your heart that you don't want to surrender to the Lord. And I pray also that He exposes anything in our hearts this morning that are not glorifying to Him. And so in that vein, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. We love Hebrews 4.12 because it speaks of the, of the power of the Word of God. And we can proclaim it boldly because the power is not in our proclamation or in our abilities, but in God's Word. But very rarely do we read on to verse 13. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we're going to do this morning. But it also does this. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So many of you and many Christians are afraid to be naked and exposed before the Lord. There are pet sins and pet selfishness that we are holding on to. And the words of Jesus should expose us and lay us bare before him. And I hope that's what happens this morning. Just a bit of warning, for those of you who like shallow, safe Christianity, this message is for you. It's going to make you uncomfortable as it should. And so what we're going to do is do a little heart surgery this morning. There's nothing wrong with a little heart surgery. Because some of us have weak hearts and clogged arteries from unhealthy living. Some of us, our hearts do not pump the blood of Christ, and therefore they are dead. Either way, we need to examine our hearts this morning and hold them to the same standard that Jesus held Peter to. 
So as we open your Bibles to John chapter 21, you will also step on the operating table for the next 50 minutes or so. So please open your Bibles to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you are our shepherd. We are your sheep. We are stubborn creatures. We go where we want to, we do what we want, and we often need correction and direction from you. We do not know how to feed ourselves or care for ourselves. We do not know how to rid ourselves of our own pests and our own parasites, yet by your power. But in your power and in your mercy, you gave us the good shepherd who showed those of us who lead your people how to shepherd. And it is humbly and it is reverently that we as your sheep love you and desire to love one another. Lord, correct us where we are selfish. Correct us where we do not love each other well. Correct us and convict us when we make Christianity all about us and what makes us comfortable. Give us hearts that desire your glory, even to the extent of going to the cross for proclaiming your name as Peter did. That you would be glorified in everything that we do and that we would be known that your church, not just in this building, but all over the world, would be known for people who love you and love one another well. That it is remarkable to everyone who looks inside. How can this be possible that people can act like this? We love because you loved us first. And it is by your love for us through the cross, that we can even understand what it means to love one another. This is my prayer this morning. This is our aim in this message, that your spirit would examine us where needed, encourage us where needed, and that the power of your word would do the work that you set out for it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to pick up in verse 15. When they had finished their breakfast... So you have to remember what happened last week. Last week, remember, Jesus appears to them for the third time according to John. After his resurrection, and they're fishing, they go back to doing what they had always done. They're out on the lake and they have this fruitless evening where nothing is coming out of the water. And Jesus stands in the shore calmly and tells them where to put their nets. And the nets are overflowing, but yet the nets are not breaking. The full number of the fish are brought on to shore and there's a breakfast of celebration because Christ has brought the fruitfulness that they could not on their own. And he, built, and he makes them this beautiful breakfast. He starts a charcoal fire and he has fresh bread, fresh bread and freshly caught fish as the sun's coming up on the lake of Gal- or Sea of Galilee. This beautiful moment where we left off last week is where we pick up this morning when they had finished breakfast. Now one of those details may have escaped us, but there's a word here that is used earlier for charcoal fire in verse 9. It's only used twice in the, in the Gospel of John. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament. 
here, where Jesus makes this charcoal fire of fish and bread for his disciples. Anyone know where the first time was? The charcoal fire is where Peter warmed his hands in the courtyard of Pilate when he would deny him three times. So over a charcoal fire, Peter denied Christ three times looking to appeal to the world. And over this charcoal fire, Jesus is going to ask him three poignant questions. This is not here by accident. This is the last thing that Peter must do and must examine before he is ready for ministry, and it is his own heart. So Jesus addresses him, Simon, son of John. Now you know you're in trouble when someone gives you the full name. Simon, son of John. This is not a a, a typical address for Peter. Uh, The only other time we see this Simon Bar-Jonah we see in Luke, I believe, uh, just means son of John. It's the same same name in Hebrew, really. But what Jesus is getting at here is, earlier he called him Peter. But before you can become Peter, before you can become a rock, something must happen. Right now, I'm going to remind you of who you are in your flesh. You are Simon, son of John. But I must ask you several questions first. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I want to stop there with this word love. And we've talked about this several times in the Gospel of John because the word love in our culture can mean so many different things. But actually, within this context, it also means different things. There are different words for love in the Greek language. This one, agapao. So Jesus asked him, agapas me. Do you love me? This use of the word agapao is a high and devoted sense. Are you devoted to me? Before I will call you Peter, right now you are still Simon, son of John. You must declare your devotion to me. Do you love me more than these? you got to remember, this is kind of a weird scene because they just finished breakfast. All the disciples who had been fishing with him, there's seven of them, Jesus calls out Peter directly. Do you love me more than these? Directing him to the other men who are sitting around this fire with him. Why does he say that? Because if you remember, Peter, in his boldness and in his arrogance, compares himself to the disciples very often. Look at Matthew 26. I'm sure Jesus is bringing this to mind. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. So this is during the Passover, just a few days before, Jesus says to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. The analogy here is not lost. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That is also not lost. He is now speaking to them in Galilee. Peter answered them, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter in his arrogance. We don't think about this, but Peter is sitting at the table with Jesus and the other disciples, and he's basically pointing his finger to every one of them. Even though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Jesus is bringing this to his remembrance just a few nights ago. Simon, son of John, you love me more than these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Uh, This is where the English language falls a little short here, and the translation can't help us. There's another Greek word, phileo, which also means love. It's rightly translated here, love. But but Peter responds, phileo say. You know that I love you. But this word is more accurately translated, probably affection. This is brotherly love. We know the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love. Phila Adelphos is brother. Jesus says, Agapas me. Peter responds, Phileose. If you read this, in, in, in the, and there's a lot of debate over this, but I think this is clear. And this is where we've got to get a little nerdy for a, a minute, because this is important to the, to the interpretation. This original conversation happens in Aramaic. We do not have an Aramaic transcript of this conversation. 
John, for his readership, is translating this into Greek. John was there. John felt the tension as this is going on. John knows, John through the Holy Spirit knows the intention of Jesus and Peter. And so when he chooses the words to translate this into Greek and and send it out to his Greek-speaking audience, he uses two different words because he knows that Jesus is asking one question and Peter is answering another. This is really important for our understanding of what Jesus requires of Peter because, like I said, both mean love, but there's a difference There's a distinction between devotion and affection. Jesus desires devotion. Now, we all know, we have seen Peter's affection for the Lord. And there's a difference between the two. I love my wife and I love pizza. Hopefully, I understand the distinction between the two. I should be devoted to one and have affection for the other. If, If we mix this up, it becomes a very different picture. But... We don't have a different way to say these. In, in, in our culture, we say love for everything. You know, we, we throw around the word love to mean high devotion. And yeah, I'd love to go to the park. We're not saying the same thing. But in the Greek language, it's much more particular here. And so, what's going on then? And so, I would like to give Peter the, the, the benefit of the doubt. That Jesus is asking him for this high devotion. And Peter hopefully is learning some humility. Saying, Lord, you know. I'm not going to presume. I'm going to try to humble myself and just give a lower type of affection. Maybe he's just being honest here. Um, At at worst, this is really awkward. Because Jesus says, are you devoted to me? And, And Peter's like, I love you like a friend. Uh, I don't know if that's what's, what's going on, but I think John theologically is getting to something here, and Peter, or excuse me, Jesus is going to draw this out. So my first question in this first verse here is, do you love the Lord? This is an important question for us to ask in our own examination, because the, the, the question that Jesus asks is no different than what he asks Peter. Do you love me? Are you devoted to him, or do you just love him as a friend? This morning, I want you to search your heart. So let me use some language that you might understand. Do you just like Instagram posts about Jesus, like, yeah, this spiritual thing is really cool? Or do you love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and all of your strength? Do you like having the verse of the day quotes on your phone so you can feel spiritual? Hey, look, I read a Bible verse today. Or do you run to the Word of God because it is the the food that feeds you, that your heart desires? Do you love Him? How do we know? How do we know if we love Him? Jesus doesn't answer Peter. Just gives him a statement. Gives him a command. Feed my lambs. The word is intentional here. It means little sheep, little ones. Do you love me? Feed my little ones. If you love me, then feed them. Then care for them. What do we know about lambs? They are weak. Sheep are weak and stupid on their own. Lambs are weaker and more helpless on their own. If you love me, feed the little ones. And this is an encouragement for us because we have a lot of little ones running around. And we have a lot of opportunities to love and feed these little ones. Feed them. Care for them. And we do this really well as a body. But I want to encourage us and challenge us to continue to do this. Because our love for Christ looks very much like how we love his own. And so just as a practical response to this. Serve. We've got a lot of little babies. We need help. Christy needs help. We, if you have children, let me tell you, mothers and fathers, you are teachers. You are teachers in your own home. You should be. Your first responsibility is with those in your own home and then in the body of Christ. And so if you can teach, if you have little ones, you are a teacher. We have great material and we can help encourage you in that. But this is one way we can practically feed them so that moms and dads can sit in, sermon, in, the, in the sermon together and learn together. And that we can serve one another in this. This It's a great way to show that we love the Lord by how we 
feed his little ones. But Jesus is doing something additional here in Peter. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, agapes me. Are you devoted to me? No longer does he say, do you love me more than these? He just brings it to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You say you do. Do you really? Yes, Lord, I love you. Still phileo here. Are you devoted to me? Yes, I have affection for you. Jesus doesn't confirm or deny whether this is the right response, but he defines what that looks like. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. This word tend, same word as shepherd from, what we, from where we get pastor. Pastor my sheep. We just finished last week with the evangelism metaphor. Go out fishing. Bring in those from the, from the water. This is what I'm calling you to do. I'll make you fishers of men. But what he's telling him here is those who you catch in the nets, they also needed to be shepherded. They also need to be cared for. He is adding the role of pastor to that of evangelist in the life of Peter. From, shepherd, from fisherman to shepherd, from evangelist to, to, to pastor, this is also a higher charge on Peter. It is not enough that you just cast nets and you proclaim the gospel, but you must care for them. He calls them my sheep. Tend my sheep. Now notice There's a change here from feed my lambs to tend my sheep. Sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are dependent. They need direction. They need correction. They need shepherding. They need constant care. It is not enough that you just proclaim the gospel and move on, but care for them. He is now telling him how to be a pastor. And it is amazing that Peter, in his old age, in his first letter, he calls himself a fellow elder in chapter 5. So, I told you this, this passage really struck me, but it struck me even harder this morning because as we talked about in our, in our corporate prayer, we had a young man who was a part of our congregation who there was evidence that he was in the Lord and there was fruit, the Holy Spirit working in his life, but yet he went into his own sin and, the, and to the extent that he loved it and made it his own God. And so after hours of meeting and, and counsel and challenge from the elders and from others, we had to formally remove him, excommunicate him from the body. And it's never an easy thing to do, but it is necessary. This was, uh, whatever it was, six months ago now. He reached out to me yesterday asked for my forgiveness, repented. We went back and forth a little bit and told him I would share this with the congregation and I asked him to put it in his own words and so he sent me a lengthy and detailed letter this morning which we we read and rejoiced over. In his life, the most loving thing to do is to tell him that you are in sin and you deserve to be miserable in it and we desire for you to be to be restored to the body and repent. But if you won't, we must remove you so that you may be turned over to Satan for a season. And providentially being in this this text this morning, this just brings it to light what love looks like. Love is certainly encouraging where people need it. But love is challenging and convicting where people need it as well. And that's what is so essential in the local body. That we are not afraid to address one another's sins and be honest with what will destroy us. And lovingly rejoice with them when they are restored into the body. Because Jesus says here, not tend your sheep, tend my sheep. The reason they have value is because they have value to Christ. The reason we do this is because of Christ's love for us. Because our, our chief shepherd... The one who laid down his life for his sheep is our example. How could we not love those who Jesus loved? How could we not love those who he shed his blood for? Our shepherd went to the cross for our sins. Our shepherd showed that he loved us and cared for us and pastors us by his own blood. 
and calls us to do the same and to lay down our lives. And so as a pastor, I do not take that lightly. And anyone who would step into pastoral ministry or any young pastor that I meet, this is the first thing I tell them. I take them to John 21. Do you love Christ? Feed his sheep. Tend his sheep. And everything else is easier, maybe. (laughs) Um, Because in this moment, Jesus says, these are my sheep. I bought them. I paid the price for them, and I am entrusting them to you. And I love how well you guys pray for Deshaun and I, how well you support and encourage us. But you really can't know what it means to have the weight of Christ saying, these are my sheep, and I am entrusting them to you. We don't take that lightly. But sadly, many pastors do. We live in a culture where, for some people, being a pastor is a way to get rich. Or... Uh, it's just enough to wear the title and preach on Sunday and do a few weddings and a few funerals. There's a lot of life in between that. There's a lot of public speakers parading around as pastors. They are not. Because they do not look much like Christ if they're not willing to lay down their own pride, their own comfort, their own desire to see the world a certain way for the sake of loving and feeding Christ's own. So, Peter is now, has his heart opened up a little bit about the lambs, the little ones, the immature ones, also gives him some pastoral advice, and then a third time in verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this is interesting, you also missed this in the English. The first two times, agapos me. The third time, phileis me. Do you love me? Using Peter's own term. He's saying, you say you have affection for me. Is that really true? So Peter's heart is broken for three reasons. Peter is grieved here. Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Why is Peter grieved here? One, Jesus sets the standard high, agapas me, and brings it down to Peter's level in this third time. Phileis me? I'm asking you to be devoted to me. You say you have affection for me. Do you really? This would have cut Peter to the core because he sets the bar low, and Jesus even questions where he sets the bar. How many of us in our own life set the bar so high for everyone else and so low for ourselves, and can't even meet our own standards. Number one, he uses Peter's own words and Peter's own standard to pierce his heart. And then the other thing, hopefully this is not lost on you, Peter denied him three times over another charcoal fire. Three times here he has given him an opportunity to redeem himself. This would pierce Peter to his heart because it would remind him that just a few days ago he denied his Lord in the presence of pagans so that they wouldn't look down on him. But here Jesus offers an opportunity for restoration. Each time he denies him, he's given an opportunity to declare his devotion to him. And Jesus, as the great teacher that he is, gives Peter the exact medicine he needs. He's pierced with his own words. He's reminded three times. And I think the third thing here, and this is essential, if you are to be a shepherd, a pastor, an elder, if you are to take uh, responsibility for my sheep, you must be humbled. Your heart must be broken down. Shepherds must be broken before they can be effective. We've talked about this before. We spent a lot of time in this in chapter 10. Being a shepherd is not a flashy job. No one looked up to the shepherds. It was dirty, it was stinking, and there was no there's there's no accommodation for shepherds. There's no shepherd award show. It was a lowly job with the lowliest of creatures. Jesus reminds Peter of that. And before you can take on a humble job to serve the king, you must 
be humbled. And your love, and Jesus connects it to his, Peter's love for him. Because your love for Christ, understanding Christ's love for you, must drive everything else you do. And Peter here gives the appropriate answer. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. Before he says, you know. Now he knows that Jesus is searching his heart. Now he knows that Jesus is getting to the one last bit of, bit of uh, selfishness that is in Peter, thinking too highly of himself. Lord, you know everything. If you ever get questioned by God, if Jesus ever begins to prick your heart, this is the best answer you can ever, ever give. Lord, you know everything. I love Ezekiel 37 when Jesus, or excuse me, when, when, when um, maybe Jesus, when, when, when God takes uh, Ezekiel in this vision before the valley of dry bones, and he says, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel responds, oh Lord God, you know. That is the appropriate response here. Three times, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. How do you feed them? What is feeding here as a good shepherd? Quite often you may have to feed them physically, but feed them spiritually. Care for them. Nourish them. Do you love me? Then feed them. And hopefully this took root in Peter, and I think it did, because Peter, just a few chapters later in Acts, gives one of the greatest sermons we see in all of Scripture. But it was this moment Peter's heart was broken and he was humbled before the Lord. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. But this is not just for Peter. And this is not just for pastors. And it is not just enough to say that you love Jesus. It must be proven. It must be shown. We cannot just say that we love Jesus. We must show it. Our love for Jesus is proven by our de- a desire for his sheep to be fed and grown. Because many people, I meet many people more often than not, who call themselves Christians and say that they love Jesus, but have no love for his church. Have no love for his own. They can go throughout their day or their week or their month and never interact with other believers. Have no part of the local church. So I have to ask this morning, is that you? And I know you're sitting here. There's an irony here of me sitting, speaking to someone who's sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. But can you just sit here and then go home? You say, I love Jesus as we sing and as I hear Scripture read, but throughout the rest of the week I have no concern for the body of Christ. Or can you just sit home one, two, three weeks without a second thought of who maybe I could pray for in the body? Who needs to be fed, who needs to be encouraged. And the real question is, is your relationship with Jesus just about you? We've looked at this many times in the Gospel of John. Jesus' desire is that they love one another. Is that they be one in Him as He is one in the Father. But do we really feel that way? Do we really act like that? Or is it just my relationship with Jesus, and I go through the motions, shake a couple hands, kiss a couple babies, and go home. What does it look like to love the Lord for us? Not just as a friend, not in some shifting emotional state, but in true devotion. Turn to chapter 13, John's Gospel. By Jesus' own words. And keep your finger here, we're going to go back in just a moment. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is the mark of a disciple? Theology exam? The right Christian outfit? Tithing records? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what we must answer for one day. John did not lose this. Because John, in his first epistle, if you'll turn there to 1 John, 
It is a book ripe with the theme of love. We read it earlier in our corporate reading. But I want to walk through just several of these examples. What does John have to say about love? Because as a gospel writer, he has a lot to say about Jesus' teaching on love. And as an elder himself, as he calls himself in 2nd and 3rd John, he has a lot to say about pastoring. And he has a lot to say to the local church. 1st John, beginning in chapter 2. What is the first thing he says about love? Verse 15. If you don't know where 1st John is, go to the end of your Bible, find Revelation, go back a couple books. 1st John Chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The first thing he says about love is, Who not to love? Do not love the world. Then The next thing he says about love is, Okay, here's what love is not. Do not love the world. The next thing he says about love is verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be children of God and so that we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. First thing, what love is not. It is not loving the world and the things that are desires of yourself. He identifies these, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That is not love. What is love? The love that God showed to us by sending his Son. Now that we know that love, and and I I love this, we're going to, here we go, see, you use this word so many times, and it means many different things. Uh, Chapter 3, go to verse 14, and and I I do love how John intersperses the gospel with the command to love. Chapter 3, verse 14, Uh, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, the gospel out of death, into life, through union with Christ. Why? Because we love the brothers. This is not just talking about kumbaya, love everyone else in the world. John is writing to the church. This is a mark of the church within the church. There is a love that happens between brother and sister in Christ that can only happen in the blood of Jesus. Because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love. That he brings it back to the gospel, and he laid down his life for us, brings it back to us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What does it mean, like, what does it mean to love Christ? To recognize that he loves us, laid down his life for us, that we would love one another. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us, not lo- let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or in truth. It's exactly what we're getting at this morning. It is so easy to say, yeah, I love Jesus. Let it not just be lip service, but in deed and truth. Jump over to chapter 4 where we read this morning, but it's important for us to read this again. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. People love to say that God is love, but they do not read it in context. That means if God is love, you must love, and you must love his church. If you hate Christ or you hate Christians, God's love does not abide in you. There are many people who love to say that God is love, have no love for the people of God. In this, the love of God was manifest, the gospel again, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You cannot separate love in the gospel. They are woven together throughout scripture. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the perfect payment paid by the shepherd for the sheep. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Picking up again in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, who he has not seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, 
must also love his brother. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved, sees it as so important writing as an elder to other elders because he witnessed Peter get ripped open before him. The word of God, Jesus, the word made flesh, exposed Peter before all their eyes, and this was not lost on John. It should not be lost on us. So do you love the world? John's first question, do not love the world. Is it so evident in your life all the things that you love that the world loves? And then here comes a real one. I know a lot of you have a hard time loving people. How can you say you love Christ but you don't love the ones that he shed his blood for? Let us be known for our love for one another. It is what Christ died for. Uh, So let me pull the scalpel up for a moment. By and large, this is a church that loves really well. And I want you to hear that. And that is the the thing that I hear from visitors and people who come here most often. I love the teaching. I love how you guys care for one another. I love how you guys welcome one another. I love hearing how we pray for one another and encourage one another and visit one another. And we do that really well, by and large. But we also must examine our hearts and, is that me? Do I do this because I truly love them because I know what Christ has done in my life? Or do I just like fellowship? Or do I want to look holy in front of other people? Or do I not do this at all? So then we get this transition here in verse 18. We ask these three poignant questions. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Right after feed my sheep, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter, what does your love for me look like? You want to know what it looks like if you truly love me as you should. You said earlier that you wanted to follow me. Remember, I said hold on to John chapter 13. Pick up in those words right after this. Earlier we read 34 and 35. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward fortuitous words. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Keep your finger there. So what is Peter, or excuse me, what is Jesus saying here in chapter 21? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and uh, walk wherever you wanted. This word for dress, it's, it's gird. It means to tighten your belt. So when they would travel, when they would go long distances, they would tighten their their belt or even a a girdle that kind of held all their clothes in place so that they could have freedom of movement. It's for mobility. It's for long travel so that your clothes wouldn't get in the way. Jesus tells them, you used to do that, or you will do that for a while. You're going to dress yourself. You're going to gird yourself. You're going to come and go as you please. But not for long. When you were young, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This is a future prophecy. Will. Jesus is looking to the future. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This was an imagery that the the early church would have understood because they saw it often. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Crucifixion was known to all. And someone else will dress you in a way that you do not want. You will stretch out your hands. And they will carry you where you do not want to go. So, the, so you will stretch out your hands. This is crucifixion imagery. And someone else will dress you. Someone else will, will bind you. Someone else will tie you up. And they will take you where you do not want to go. All this freedom that you think you have right now, Peter, to stick your foot in your mouth and, 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 and to jump out and do all of these things, you're not going to have that freedom later on. But I must do this work in you first. Why is all that important? Look at verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now John, writing in hindsight, probably 60 years later, 
remembers what Jesus said to Peter, but also remembers how Peter died. Eusebius, the third century historian, says this. He, he er, describes this, that Peter was bold in his proclamation of the gospel. He became that fisher of men. He preached in every region around Asia. But then he went to Rome and was boldly preaching in Rome, where he was arrested and he was jailed for the name of Jesus Christ. And he was sentenced to crucifixion. And as church history tells us, Peter requested to be crucified upside down. Tertullian also confirms this, that, that it was done in such a humiliating way that he would be crucified upside down, but to Peter, he did not dare to say that he could be killed the same way Jesus did. This is his love for Christ lived out. He said he wanted to follow him, and Jesus said, you're not ready now, but you will follow me after. Uh, one of the commentators I read this week, William Hendrickson, usually fantastic on everything, brings up an interesting point. If you keep back in chapter 13, from 36 to 38, you can now reverse the order in, G in, in Peter's life. First, we see in verse 38, he denies him three times. Verse 37, he will lay down his life for him. Verse 36, he will follow him to glory. John says this is the way that he died and God was glorified through his death. Peter says, I want to follow you. Jesus said, you can't yet, but you will. And Peter did. He followed him in his ministry and in his death and followed him into glory. But first, his heart had to be examined. And this is a beautiful picture of the restoration and transformation of Peter under the authority of the Word of God that pierced his soul and spirit, his joint and marrow. And we're called the same. We're called to do the same thing. We may not have Peter's calling, but it is the same for us. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? As we conclude this morning, this threefold repetition is of the utmost importance. When we think about our motivation to do things, do we do it all unto the love of the Lord, or are they, do we have selfish motivations? But this question should ring in our heads. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I just want to ask you, as we've been in the Gospel of John for a year and a half now, has this stirred your affections for the Lord? Has it reminded you of the Gospel of your own sin? Has it caused you to rejoice in what Christ has done for you? Has your reflection on His love for you caused you to grow in your love for Him and your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? As it should. Do you really love Him? Or are you still just playing church? Everything we do must be out of love for the Lord. Because without love for the Lord, this is just empty religious actions and we're no different than any other religion on the planet. But with the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who laid down His life for us, we lay down our lives for one another. God is glorified. So in this way, we are to be like Peter. Let Christ search your heart this morning. Do we love Him? How do we know? How do others know? Do we love His own? Is it out of our love for Christ and His blood shed for us that we love those He loves? If we do that well, everything else will fall into place. We will walk according to Scripture. We will pray for one another. We will encourage one another. But the mark of a disciple, Jesus says two times, you're my disciples if you keep my commandments and if you love one another. Let us be faithful in commandment keeping and in our love for one another. And so I can say this by the grace of God and I can say it confidently. I love you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I have seen, I have cried with many of you, laughed with many of you, walked with many of you. I loved you only because of the work that the Spirit has done in me. And I pray you can say the same and show the same to your brothers and sisters in Christ in this body and all over the world. Let's pray.
So as I prepare to pray, maybe I'll just give you a moment to kind of reflect and examine your heart. There's not enough moments of silence in our lives, and so I'll just give you a few moments to ask these pertinent questions to yourself before the Lord, before I close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you examine us, try us. The same fire that judges the wicked refines the righteous. We are naked and bare before you. We cannot hide. Yet that is not for lack of trying. Lord, I pray this morning that you examine our hearts, that you convict us of ways we do not bless your name and glorify you by our love for one another. Areas in our life that we're still holding on to our own comfort and our own desire for our own religion. Make us a people who love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and who are known for loving your sheep which you have entrusted to us. Let us be a witness to everyone who comes into our lives and everyone who walks in this building. That here, we are people who know the blood of Christ shed for sinners. Who know the grace and mercy that you have shown us. And so we can be full of grace and mercy toward one another. Because our shepherd is king. He loves us. He loved us first so that we can love one another. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.